0: He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You
1: like me right now. You like
0: me. He's National Review Online's Jim Garrity. How do you like
1: me now, now
0: that I'm on my She's way. a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah, Crack up the radio. Very interesting. She's Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome
2: to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by George Michael's Holiday Heart Exchange. Yes, last Christmas, someone gave you their heart. And much like that fruitcake baked by your elderly neighbor, you just can't wait to give it away. Now we can help you regift gift that heart as quickly as possible. Under the management of the previously unemployed Andrew Ridgely, George Michael's Holiday Heart Exchange is hitting the re market with a bang. Some might even say a Wham! Give that unwanted heart to someone else, maybe even someone special.
1: Someone special.
2: I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And welcome to the mid-December edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, you missed my holiday party last week. I understand you were under the weather, but are you starting to at least, were you just overcome by the Christmas spirit?
3: <laughs> I wish that I had been overcome by the Christmas spirit. Hello, everyone. Um, unfortunately, I was overcome by apparently the flu. Oh. and uh, so yes, i'm so sorry that I missed your holiday p- party um it's certainly the time of year for those though um, did you have a good time
2: I-, I did obviously your your presence was missed. Um, I-, I was going to say if you were not overcome by the Christmas spirit, I figured you'd be overcome by uh, Christmas mucus mucus'll we'll be up oh nice <laughs> uh, the uh, The other observation is that um Uh, I I find that uh, the Christmas party, once it's done, now now I can actually enjoy the holiday season. But until then, I was, you may have sensed in last week's episode, freaking out. uh, Just a little tense. Just a little tense. (laughs) Everyone loves attending Christmas parties or holiday parties. I should say holiday parties, you know. Uh, nobody wants to actually, you know, throwing them is always the enormous amounts of stress and aggravation. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to that. Are you, are, will you guys be hosting one down in the Richmond area or anything or attending others? I, or?
3: I don't plan on hosting any holiday parties this year. So that's kind of a first for me. Um, however, we, we often have to attend them. I say have to. <laughs> we often have to attend them for different things. And, you know, I've been out of the corporate world now for um, a couple years. But I remember the holiday parties that we had um, when I was working in media specifically. And there's a new movie coming out called The Office Party. And it harkens back to the days... It's The Office Christmas Party, excuse me. And it harkens back to the days um, when things got a little wild at Christmas parties. Now, everybody knows about the jokes about someone, you know getting naked and making copies of their behind (laughs) on the copier (laughs) machine. But there are lots of things that go down at Christmas parties that, quite frankly, just never make the news. And this new movie that's out stars Jason Bateman and Jennifer Aniston. Um, They were together in The Switch. They were together in Horrible Bosses. And it's my understanding that this movie is, one, not for children. Um, and it's all about basically the wildest Christmas party that you can imagine. And some, some have even said that it you know, kind of goes into the
2: Porky's mode <laughs> of Christmas party movies. Now, Mickey, have you ever, I have never attended an office Christmas party that got raucous and wild and out of control. Uh, I know it will stun people. That's not, uh, not the prevailing culture at National Review. Uh, we usually have a nice lunch at some fancy restaurant and <laughs> wish each other well and, and you know, are, are appropriately conservative in all senses of the word. I do remember one year at the uh, Stalwart Institution Congressional Quarterly, the posters for the office Christmas party showed a couple dancing arm in arm. And we observed that, one, um, you were not allowed to uh, bring your spouse to this party. Mm. They were cheap <laughs> – they didn't want to pay, pay for food or booze for, for you know kids or for uh, uh, co- husbands or wives or anything like that. You obviously you were not allowed to work directly with anyone you were involved with, right? They didn't want anybody, you know, sleeping with the boss or something like that. So, who were these people dancing? <laughs> were these just merely platonic coworkers who just <laughs> happened to get into this very romantic dance pose and we, you know, we teased the HR department about that and obviously then um, they filed restraining orders and gave us disciplinary things. We had to attend all those hearings and all that kind of stuff. But the point being that you know the office Christmas party really is trying to merge these two—the you know, the professional, business-like, don't get a lawsuit, fire, filed culture—with something that is supposed to be festive and fr- uh, uh, fr- frivolous. Fr- frivolous and happy and thrilling, and maybe a little bit out of control. And like those, these two cultures clash into each other. So I'm sure it's great potential for a. Um, uh, for a movie, I guess I'm just not sure why these things exist in real life.
3: Well, I will tell you this much.
2: Um, having you know, grown
3: up in media and going to media parties and media holiday parties, mm-hmm. they're a little different, I'm imagining, than the NRO lunches. And we used to um, get huge presents, which was really cool as part of our gifts. Like, they would trade out the presents throughout the year. And our national ad girl would take care of it and so there have been years that I've come home with one year we want a telescope that was my present um, they back in the day they used to give us karaoke machines and televisions and I mean just crazy crazy gifts which was fantastic but the best part about being in media is that they always had an open bar that was something that was a given for all of your holiday parties. Wherever you were having it, there was always going to be an open bar. And back in the day, we, I would attend sometimes up to 20 holiday parties because wow. I would attend my clients' holiday parties, my holiday parties, the parties for specifically we held for my clients. Um, so I felt like all of December was basically every single night of the week I was going somewhere. And then at the end of the season, the station that I worked for – or the group that I worked for, would have a huge blowout. And it was always a big blowout to the point of it was the end of our year. Most of us were taking off the week between December or between Christmas and New Year's. So they would hold it right around that, that last weekend before Christmas. And one year, uh, I, was working, <laughs> I was working for a radio group here in Richmond. And we had always had our parties at a club. Uh, where you could go and like upstairs was dinner and downstairs was dancing and everything was, you know, people would get hammered to say the least. (laughs) And there were many a nights when people would, you know, walk in and find someone who was in the wrong sex bathroom throwing up or uh,
0: driving the porcelain bus just draped over it unconscious. Just
3: just hanging (laughs) right off the side. Um, But one of my favorite nights was a year that we had recently hired and there's really no other way to put it, a lipstick lesbian. Okay. And she was very attractive, and she had a very attractive girlfriend. And they came to the party. Both of them were very tiny, young girls in their 20s. One had long brown hair, and one had long blonde hair. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, they've had a bit to drink, and now Ah. they're dancing together. And they're making out with each other. Mm -hmm. And suddenly there's like a form of a ring of people. Of course. Standing around watching them. Of course. And it, it makes me laugh when you talk about, like, HR situations, Jim, because, of course, <laughs> you know, say. in my world, there was never an HR situation like that.
2: That, that sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Uh, and I'm kind of, you know.
3: Except maybe, maybe... for everyone was, like, cheering and carrying on. I going to say and...
0: the HR manager was probably cheering louder than anybody.
1: Yeah, everyone,
3: <laughs> you know. And, and the thing about it is, is, like, you know, I, I – I would make out with Mr. Bias at a party. That's me. But the enjoyable part of watching them do it was watching everyone else watch them.
2: i I think many people are picturing it right now. Yeah, the key
3: part of these parties was to not be that person. Like it was great if other people were that person. You just didn't want to be that
0: person. So like two weeks from then when everyone's back at work, they're not all talking about you correct
3: <laughs> like the number one rule for me of all parties in general is don't be the person everyone's talking about the next day
2: yeah I was gonna say I'm kind of struck by uh, I, I, one it sounds like you spent basically the entire month of December semi inebriated yes. like, did you did you spend January sobering up
3: or? yeah it was always like you know dry January you'd come out on January 2nd be like I'm not drinking again and then the Super Bowl would come up, so <laughs> that was out the window. Now they
0: pushed it off till February, so you get a little more time.
3: Yeah, exactly. But, it, I mean, there was a time when, yes, you're absolutely right, I owned a <laughs> great deal more of the, what, I guess we would call them holiday dresses the ones that have the velvet or the ones that have the sparkly on them because you have to have, like, specific attire to wear to these as well.
0: I want to know who's scheduling all those parties so that nobody schedules one on the same night as anyone else. That's an absolute feat of organization, if you ask me.
3: Well, and there were times when I had to hit one or two at a time (laughs) Um, just because, of again, you know, when you have clients all over the city and you have things going on, It was, okay, Tuesday night, I've got to hit this party at 6 o'clock, and I've got to hit this party at 8 o'clock, and then I've got to be home and back at work by 7.
2: See, okay, now here's the thing. I I have many coworkers who I um, enjoy the company of. I I have many also who I'm I'm on cordial terms with, and some I just don't interact with very much. I'm I'm pleased to say there's really nobody else who I I don't like, and I've had very few um, coworker enemies or or folks I, I really didn't like over the years. But given a choice, Mickey, how often would you, like, really want to, yeah, let's party with these people?
3: Not. I I don't like partying (laughs) with my clients. Um, I don't like partying with coworkers. I never did. And it was one of those things where I became the – I wasn't the designated driver per se, but I was the one kind of sipping my drink Mm. at everything because I had seen what had happened in previous years. Um, you know, It's funny because this movie gets into how people go wild and there's some cocaine in the snow machine and some other things that go on. And it first caught my eye, maybe because of that, but it reminded me of the old school media days when you could walk into the bathroom and find someone leaned over a mirror. Um, (laughs) There were lines in in
0: our bathrooms, there were lines on the white porcelain, Uh, tank cover on the toilet (laughs) bowl. Nobody bothered
2: to bring a mirror. They put their lines on that thing. (laughs) (laughs) The good old days. I was about to say, what is, what industries are they where they're throwing this money around with unbelievable, a snow machine, you know, and (laughs) ice sculptures and and just unbelievable stuff. I'm thrilled if there's an open bar. (laughs) Right, and most years it's not that; it's usually a cash bar, Um, and I'm just kind of left shaking my head at what. Yeah, I I went into the wrong line of work, Um, and and just the idea that problems
3: too is as as companies started scaling back these office parties, um, they started handing out you know tickets, your drink tickets, yeah, things like that, and that that was when I felt like the twist in office parties went from being like, oh, you have no idea what's going to happen to everyone's going to meet up later and drink somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. well,
2: I guess the other thing, also that sense of that strange sense of obligation, right? I mean, you want to be seen as having a good time, but not too good a time. And you kind of have to really walk that fine line. Just again, a sense of like, you know, we all know the saying of don't, you know what, where you eat. Um, <laughs> obviously there's great uh, concern about hooking up with coworkers and various complications that can cause. Uh, and then the idea of just being seen and inebriated, uh, by coworkers or bosses or things like that. Like, how many good things can come out of that scenario? We had a token
0: alcoholic at our Christmas parties that was always asleep behind the couch after the first hour, so nobody had to be the, the victim that got talked about for the rest of the week. It was always him. We could all count on him to be the worst. <laughs>
3: he would be the one, Yeah. Right. But see, after, after a, a while, it becomes, like, so commonplace that suddenly they're not talking about the drunk anymore. Like, of course he was passed
0: out. <laughs> what else happened?
2: We have designated drivers. Now it's time for us to have designated drunks.
0: Right. My station parties were so dull. The worst thing that ever happened was looking down the unusually open and ornate cleavages of the ladies. And, of course, once I stopped working there, that came to an end.
3: <laughs> see, again, the holiday dress code is all about being festive and showing boobies.
0: Hey, Amen. it's great to be six foot four. I'll tell you that. You can I'll see them the all.
3: Next- Coming up in the next segment, we are going to talk about a song that is once again riddling the headlines. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. We'll be right back.
1: Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, but the
3: very next day, you gave it away. You it away. This year. <laughs> Abby, You need to come downstairs, or someone that wants to see you. Somebody's wait for me. <laughs> <laughs> The Elf on the Shelf, creating family moments that last a lifetime. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host Jim Garrity. I recently wrote a post at Red State. We haven't really talked about this on the show, but I'm working now at Red State. And I wrote a post um, earlier this week about the song, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Now... Some of you may know, but this is one of those songs that in recent years, suddenly the, um, I guess the PC culture of the world has stepped in and decided that what was once a very cute and cozy song, my only familiarity with it prior to this controversy was an elf um, when Will Ferrell and Zoe Deschanel sang it to each other. But it seems, Jim, that people have decided that this particular song, a holiday, holiday classic, if you will, is in need of a PC update. And it needs to have consent. So two people actually got together and rewrote the lyrics so that they allowed for consent in this song.
2: <laughs> um, now, I'm looking at the actual lyrics here, Mickey. And we, we should point out, that uh, this is obviously it's a duet sung between a man and a woman and uh, so I, I, I originally always thought it was that the guy was supposed to leave and he was over the woman's house but now it looks like it's the other way around it's the woman who's saying she really can't stay correct right and the guy is saying no 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 don't leave, you know, don't leave yet it's cold outside it's da- you know you don't want to uh, uh, you know, it's dangerous don't, don't stay on the road I
1: wish I knew how right to break this spell. I'll take your hat your hair looks well.
2: But then, at one point, she says, "But maybe just a half a drink more." Um, <laughs> put on some records, while I pour. Um, and now, at the point, a couple lines later, she does say, "Say what's in this drink?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> while well, he's saying, like, "No cabs to be had out there." Um, the roofie will kick in soon. <laughs> Dave, last night as we were discussing topics, I said to Mickey that, it, you know, first of all, I mean, now that the, the, you know, social justice warriors and the PC crowd don't like this song, this makes us love this song, right? I mean, this is going to become the Chick-fil-A of Christmas Carol. That's right. now, that it's, now that it's controversial, now that it's dangerous, now that, you know, poor, poor innocent ears can't listen to this, lest they become out of control rapists because of a, uh, a, a Christmas Carol. So, you know, we, we need to, I, I actually want to see an even worse version. You know, I I'm, I'm old.
0: I, uh, I'm i sorry. I Hold your punchline, Jim. It'll be better than this, I promise. No, no. I'm, I'm old. I just want to say that I always thought the guy was a little pushy, but at the same time, I had the idea he was kind of a hero, and I wish I had been as cool as he was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mickey, feminine perspective. What's the perspective of the woman in the song?
3: See, to me, it's just that she is playing coy that this is a song full of innuendo and flirtation and it's just not as overt sexually as we're used to.
0: Mm-hmm. But she wants and to be got the idea
3: of people flirting back and forth and kind of playing hard to get was a thing in nineteen forty four when yeah. this song was written. Now suddenly it seems creepy because he's trying to cajole her into staying and she's kind of, you know, oh, I should go, I shouldn't stay here, that would be bad for my reputation kind of thing.
0: Modern day political correctness being applied to a song from 80 years ago.
3: Right, exactly, and it just doesn't, like, it, their complaints don't hold true to me. I've never found it to be creepy. Um, I always thought it was kind of cute, And and again, it's not even a song I really think about that often until people throw it in my face.
2: So... Mickey, it sounds like you concur. You give consent to the idea that we need one that's maybe even pushing the envelope a little further.
3: I think Um, we could handle it in 2016.
2: I want Robin Thicke to sing the next one. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. Talking about those blurred lines. (laughs) <laughs> you know something like no such a negative word i sang these lines are blurred <laughs> <laughs> i Damien. gave you plenty worth i just sprang for surf and turf <laughs>
3: <laughs> see and at this point i feel like the woman's response if you still went with the what's in this dream <laughs> still works
2: it's much more likely to be about how strong is this drink that's right. <laughs> rather than you, you pulled a Bill Cosby on me, right? <laughs> well, and the
3: idea is, of course, when she says that, in my opinion, it's kind of her making a mockery of herself, not of him. Mm-hmm. But in the idea of, you know, I'm, I'm having some booze, obviously. We know what's in the drink. It's alcohol. And so that's, that's where I guess I, I break from the PC crowd entirely is we know she's drinking booze. Yeah. It was 1944, so my guess is it's straight up.
2: It's time for Christmas revels. Don't worry about blood alcohol levels. <laughs> <laughs> Let's head back to my bunk. You're not quite legally drunk. Perfect. <laughs> but there's lots of ways I, you, can you tell I spent all night thinking up really bad lyrics I really like these
3: actually I think that we should set them to music um, no again,
2: need for you to call Uber or Lyft I'll come in if you can catch my drift <laughs>
3: <laughs> and again what happens when you put that song out is people would be like what a great catchy little song
2: well, yeah, or that, or, you know. No, I, I think at some point we should, like, if nothing else, there's room for a silent live version that, like, goes well beyond it, you know. Your objection I have not heard. I've forgotten your safety word. <laughs> Banana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so glad Let to hear know. that yeah. they're going back
0: after stuff like Christmas songs and political correctness and the atheists are back trying to tell you not to go to church. It's like, thank God the election is over and the wacko left is back in back on track with the crazy stuff that people just tune them out for. Well, well we're that's, back to the
2: traditional the other part yeah. How
3: many times can someone be told that a song like this or any other song um, is bad for them? Without just completely turning them off, because what makes the PC police any different than anyone else who's trying to tell you what to do and what to think? Well, I
2: know. If anything, this is probably the best. I, I, I bet you this song ends up getting played more this year than it has. Because as I say, this is not Jingle Bells. This is not I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. This is you know one of the. I, I think it kind of fallen into obscurity. Um, in fact, now that I think about it. Is there anything really in it about Christmas? No, it's just winter. In fact,
3: um, as after I wrote my piece earlier this week, it, someone let me know that it was actually written in 1944 by a husband and a wife that used to throw elaborate Hollywood parties, and it was their end of night song to kind of kick people out.
2: <laughs> okay, right. I mean, you know, if any, I think, and I've he heard that-
3: sold the rights to MGM, which they then used in a movie.
0: It's kind of along the lines of that old "Oh yes, I remember it well." That Jim Backus used to do with the woman where the two of them have completely opposite memories of how the evening went and then they both agree that they remember it well. You remember that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's kind of along those lines. It's that 1940s style of of dueling narratives for cuteness. It's, it's really a, a salute to the relationship between men and women in its way. It's the exact opposite of what modern-day PC warriors are saying it is, which is abusive and, and somehow verbal musical rape or something.
1: I don't know. <laughs> which
3: What's is key absolutely key ludicrous. I, I, I refuse to hear that any song is equivocal to rape, by the way. Yeah, like yeah. That's where they start to like jump the shark, so to speak, yeah. is when they push it too far, which, of course, they always do. But... The bottom line is, you know, this is a song that has lasted for eighty years. It's been kind of under the bubble. Like I said, for me, um, as someone who's not into necessarily old music, et cetera, Elf was the first time that I remember it being like brought up in pop culture and thrown at me. And there's nothing but adorableness and seeing Will Ferrell and Zoe Deschanel sing it in the movie Elf.
0: I just can't imagine Um, Michael Buble
2: coming on that strong (laughs) to a woman. He's just too nice. (laughs) He's Canadian. That's right. right. How how tough could he be? um so mickey what was the response to the piece Were were the red staters like yes absolutely or was there any pushback of hey wait a minute now we don't want to imply this sort of thing or or you know i I I was
3: surprised at how many men responded with um and it had a lot to do with our trivial tuesday uh count which we're going to talk about a little bit later but had a lot of people responding um and suggesting that it was a creepy song now these weren't women these were men who were like, "Oh no, I heard it, and now all I can think about is you know it's kind of creepy because he talks her into staying," and I'm like, "You have no game." <laughs> that was all I could think.
2: You know, looking back through these lyrics, I'm trying to think like it does get morbid at times. Like at one point, you know, she says, "There's bound to be talk tomorrow," mm-hmm. and he says, "Think of my lifelong sorrow." At least there will be plenty implied. Yeah. And then he says, if you got pneumonia and died. Now, because they're having, you, she's saying they're bound to be talked tomorrow, at least plenty. People will talk that we say right. together, basically. But that's the whole saying, point. Look, is like, if you it's... go out there, you could die, and I'll be sad forever, right? Well, I mean, oh, come
3: on. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is name a guy who hasn't talked a chick into staying the night with him ever. <laughs> and, again, if you can't talk a chick into spending the night when it's snowy and icy outside, then you have no game.
2: Um, she says maybe such maybe just a cigarette more never and he says never such a blizzard before like I'm surprised more people aren't complaining that they're talking about smoking in this <laughs> smoking and but drinking sex all out. in 1944
1: yeah
2: uh, and
3: for a generation that believes they invented everything including yeah. sex <laughs> this has to be a nice shock to the system I guess. that's
0: the thing you can go back to barbershop quartet songs in the 1890s and find stuff like this if you look hard enough we didn't invent it in our generation.
3: Correct, but you would think that we did, and we certainly try to take the fun out of it.
2: Um, now, here's the thing, though: if if you're really making a song it, it's supposed to be about "Guess Who Won't Leave," um, I, I I think your your lyrics would be different. I, I think you know, um, I, I really kind of feel like you know, "Hey, it's getting late," you know, or something like that. This is clearly something playful. Um, now, the other thing is, you know. My, You know, the other thing, my maiden aunt's mind is vicious, whereas he responds, gosh, your lips are delicious. Mm -hmm. That certainly implies he's already tasted some.
3: Well, yes, and the idea is, again, even with the back and forth, it's not – she's actually giving consent through her words and actions by not leaving.
2: Oh, I am sure there's like a feminist studies department that's going to blow up in response to that. I (laughs) can't wait. You know who to send the mail to, people. Uh, all responses should be sent to Mickey white care of the Jim and Mickey show. <laughs> uh, but like, like the, I, I guess, you know, like what, what it is, is this idea of not just like, like you and I can listen to say, huh, aren't those lyrics a little funny or up. Oh, we can kind of tell there's a implied something going on here. Um, but everybody else, is like, no, it must be banned, right? No, no, we can't you know, rewrite the lyrics, cast these thoughts out of us before, you know, I, I'm just, am tired of this for obvious reasons. And, uh, uh, it just kind of seems like the idea that – the idea that you could never, like, depict something that we might not fully approve of in real life in fiction, right? You know, this is not a documentary, right? It's a song. It's a Christmas carol or holiday carol or winter carol or date season carol. Well, here, here,
3: here's, here's a great juxtaposition for you guys. Also announced this week was the uh, the new trailer for Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> And to remind everyone, that was the highest rated, uh, R-rated movie until Deadpool came out. (laughs) So, you know, the same country that gets behind S&M softcore porn
2: really has
3: no time for Baby It's Cold (laughs) Out.
2: Actually, you know, these those two, even though I say is people who remember my, my review of Fifty Shades will point out they have absolutely zero chemistry and are arguably the most mismatched and horrible screen couple of all time. If they sang it, it would actually be really funny. Because of- <laughs>
0: And it's probably the same whiners in the audience watching Fifty Shades of Grey who are phoning in their complaints about, Baby, it's cold
2: outside. <laughs> you know, if there's nothing else the Jim and Mickey show provides, it's helpful tips to Hollywood. And so we've got a couple more, not just after giving them the fantastic idea of turning Fifty Shades into a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and turning into the historical epics that it's time for them to leave behind. Keep it right here. We'll be right back. When it's cold.
1: Imagine that. Cats with thumbs.
0: And what if they got together? Gangs of cats with thumbs. An organized army with one thing on their mind.
2: Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, earlier this week, I saw all the hype about the new film in which uh, Natalie Portman plays Jackie Onassis, uh, JFK's wife Um, I was struck Uh, at first I felt like there was some sort of theme in all of Natalie Portman's roles I kind of felt like there there was some common thread running through them and so I tried to think about um, uh, all of her co-stars or all the characters she's played opposite Uh, obviously there's Thor from the Marvel Mm -hmm. movies Anakin Skywalker from the abysmal awful prequels um, and then, of course, uh, the infamous uh, uh, V for Vendetta, uh, the, 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 Co- uh, the, the uh, Wachowski Brothers film based on the comic book. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, she's playing Jackie O. So the common thread I found is that she always is involved with a, a man who is involved in a big political change to his realm, <laughs> to his world. <laughs> um, and it almost always turns out badly. Uh, and the the options are, of course – uh, Loki on the throne, uh, Emperor Palpatine taking over the galaxy, sheer anarchy in the UK, um, or L- Lyndon Johnson. Uh, <laughs> all, all four are, are kind of bad options there. But I, I also was struck and kind of baffled by this when I uh, uh, i saw this. Because apparently this is like the 50 actresses have played Jackie Onassis in a film and t- television. And this is like they, there was a screen, they were doing a, I think it was Entertainment Weekly, did like the 17 best actresses to play Jackie O. Seventeen. He, how like, you know, Have I missed a bunch or something? There are a lot of made-for-TV
3: movies. Okay. And I think that's probably, I mean, for whatever reason, the myth of Camelot, which Jackie Onassis, uh, obviously her name was Kennedy at the time, mm-hmm. actually created after JFK died because it is nothing but a myth because he was a philandering cheater and she had a boyfriend too. Because keep in mind, she didn't become Jackie Onassis until after he died.
2: I was going to say, has the um, have have any of the movies dealt with him banging the eighteen-year-old intern in the White House?
3: Not that I'm aware. Um, But again, I'm not someone who runs out to watch all of these JFK historical
2: flashbacks
3: revisionist history movies. And I think my problem with it is, you know, is there anything we haven't really seen about this yet?
2: I I was going to say, I think when you and I look at historical epics and and all of these things, there are certain chapters of history that feel really well-trod, really well-explored, really well-depicted, and not really clear what's left. And I'm hearing people raving about um, Natalie Portman's performance, and I'm sure it's good. And she seems to have uh, the look down, although some people have argued she looks happier than we ever saw Jackie Kennedy in in public. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but, But kind of a strange sense of like, Okay, what what's left there to tell? What what's new to tell? Isn't there? You know, I mean, it, 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 my sneaking suspicion is is that the Kennedys were the young, handsome, beautiful, glamorous couple in the in the uh, Oval Office, and that as a result of that, there's this enormous appetite to depict them in a way that there just isn't for Lyndon Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson.
3: Right. Well, it, it's the same thing. Um, you know, with what I think we're probably going to see with the Obamas moving forward too. Mm. is that they were young, they were different, you know, certainly not what we saw as our political figureheads um, because they, they were much more a part of the culture. Now, the problem with JFK back, you know, backtracking to the JFK story is that, one, he didn't even finish a term. So we have a little tiny slice of history to work with. And what we've seen is, you know, we've seen the the Swift Boat story on JFK. We've seen, like, every possible version of JFK becomes president and gets shot, including, most recently, Rob Lowe playing him in Killing Kennedy.
2: Cuban Missile Crisis.
3: Yeah, we've seen the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, You know, we have JFK's conspiracy theories that are out there because of Oliver Stone and, you know, all the other ideas that come behind it. And... Now, they're dipping into that well again. And to me, it's just one of those stories where it must be a passion project for someone because it's not something that I feel like the American public is craving. And that's where Hollywood gets into trouble. You know, we, we ran into this a little bit over the last couple of years when they were constantly making films about uh, both slaves and the civil rights era. And eventually, you kind of hit that, point of diminishing returns with the public and with your audience where you know you can keep putting out these movies, but the hunger for the, the movie dies down. The hunger for the information dies down because we feel like we've seen it all before. Now, along these lines, there is a movie out there that I do want to see, and that's Loving, which is the story of the first interracial couple here in Virginia to get married legally and, and the fight that they had to have their marriage recognized. That's an interesting story because it hasn't been told before. Mm-hmm. But I think that Hollywood gets all caught up in their own ideas of what the American public would like to see instead of just putting forth things that are actually entertaining.
2: Yeah, I think a couple of good examples there. I mean, I, I, um, the, uh, I, I caught for the first time in a long while the NBC series Timeless, which is about time-traveling folks. And uh, the, one of the episodes I caught was the one that's was all about the moon landing. And it dawned on me. We've now seen a lot of movies about the early days of NASA. Uh, the 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 right stuff. Apollo thirteen. I'm trying to At least a couple others in there. I'm sure there've been a couple of bad side. Oh, I don't know if you count Capricorn one. <laughs> one, leaving O.J. Simpson to die on a fake Mars. Um, but th- th- when they did the one about the unsung heroes, the young African-American woman who was doing the mental calculations, I wanted to say, okay, that's a good job. Tell me about somebody who I haven't heard about before. Tell me about some chapter of history that's kind of been ignored or overlooked or, um, or that deserves to have a story told. And I should point out we began this segment by discussing uh, Kennedy films and how ludicrously overdone the story of the Kennedys is in Hollywood. I credit where it's due. There's, so they are coming out with a movie entitled Chappaquiddick. <laughs> now, okay, and a lot, of, when they announced this, um, I think it's Jason Clark, the guy who's been in Zero Dark Thirty and a couple other films is playing young Ted Kennedy. Um, and people are like, oh, a lot, a lot of my, our, our brethren were prejudging him. by was oh, it's going to be Hollywood spinning and oh, they're going to make excuses Mickey and, and Dave, I'll put it out to you. How do you tell the story of Chappaquiddick where Ted Kennedy comes across as a good guy unless you make Mary Jo Kopechny a mermaid at the end?
1: Right. <laughs> right?
2: I mean, there, no matter how you tell the story, he drives the car, the car goes off the bridge, he lives, she dies. There's no way for this to look good for him. And as somebody who always felt like, you know, if, if you're ever going to get caught in a terrible, terrible scandal, Mickey, always do it during the time of the first moon landing. <laughs> because that's, that's a it really got good fit to have in the headlines distracting from your terrible scandal um and it always kind of struck me as you know this is a story worth telling and i am curious to see and i'm sure it'll be more sympathetic to the kennedys in some ways than i want but i'm you know there's intriguing I, I'm, I'm intrigued that they're even tackling this story um whereas i think one more one about the glories of camelot we're just kind of left rolling our eyes and kind of feeling oh uh, you know here we go again. The torch yeah, will be passed. How God,
3: much God. of the general public really knows about Chappaquiddick, though?
0: They don't know, I think, that uh, Ted Kennedy deliberately caused left hours left. and yeah. hours of time to go by without reporting it to police that he went. And
3: that's, to me, that's a key part of the story because it's not just like he lived and she died. He wanted he to make lived, sure she was dead. He back to his dead. hotel, continued to drink, Had breakfast. hang out before, yeah, before contacting anyone. Never
0: talked to, to the, the cops.
3: To me, that's key.
0: Yeah, he was trying to make sure she was dead before anyone got to her because he was killing the time trying to figure out what to do, calling all his counselors and advisors, but not telling the police there was a car wreck and a fatality. That's- yeah,
2: I mean, you know, for obvious reasons, the, the Kennedys have been very protective of their uh, image and reputation. I remember, I think, there was, was it History Channel or somebody who did this miniseries? Um, and I think they had uh, uh, the young woman from Dawson's Creek who was married to Tom Cruise. Katie, Katie, Holmes. Katie, Katie Holmes playing young Jackie Onassis and, mm-hmm. or young Jackie Kennedy and um, they, they didn't like it they wouldn't cooperate with it they tried to get it suppressed they, you know. so there's a part of me that's like anything that gives a really full version of events instead of a glamorized one, fine, bring it on um, I just kind of figure that there's enough fascinating things in his, like, like if you're going to make a historical film you better find something new to tell us, other than to feel like other films have done it before. And I think this applies to uh, TNT used to do like a Civil War movie every year. Mm-hmm. And no offense to the fine... I'm sure like they all seemed really well done. They just didn't seem like there was anything particularly new, um, some new angle or or aspect of the Civil War uh, that is like. I think there just generally wasn't was a you know you, think you probably could argue um, uh, you know not, after Saving Saving Private Ryan if you're going to have a storming Omaha Beach scene. In your World War II movie. Boy, you better, you better have something really great to do. That's
3: the key part there is, you know, we're all into remakes. We're all into the retelling of these stories. But you could say, I mean, for me anyway, I loved Save it Pri- Saving Private Ryan, but I also loved Band of Brothers. Has and we done. have like a different angle on the same story, so to speak. And, and it still was interesting and well developed. Unfortunately, when you keep going back to these exact same storylines of the exact same story, then not only does it bring up comparisons, but automatically you're going to find probably the newer stuff to be a little less palatable than what was told originally.
0: I got a candidate from Waco, Texas, a young man named Dory Miller, who was a cook on board the Arizona. And when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, we're putting the show together the week of the Pearl Harbor anniversary, which is why this one's top of Mm -hmm. my mind. He came up out of the out of the uh, working parts of the ship onto the deck saw the devastation everywhere watched the 50 cal machine gunner on the deck shooting at japanese airplanes get shot and killed and dory miller jumped up and took hold of that machine gun and fired it until the magazines were empty and he shot down 8 japanese zeros by himself and he was a cook on board the Arizona, a black man from Waco, Texas.
2: Okay, Dave. Yep. Am I wrong, or wasn't this part of Pearl Harbor? Yeah, and, it was um, a small Cuba part. Gooding Cuba
0: Gooding Jr. But it wasn't a movie about Dory Miller. He deserves a movie about yes. himself.
3: Okay, that's fair. Well, and and to be fair, after World War II, there were a lot of movies put out by Hollywood that depicted the different battles. Mm-hmm. That is not something that we do now. And part of it is obviously you know Hollywood's own interpretation of war and what that means. But there were movies that probably, if we looked at them now, there would be people that would call them propaganda from the late 1940s and early 1950s where we had a lot of, you know, again, even going back to JFK and his Swift Boat days.
0: John Wayne would argue it wasn't propaganda. It was countering Soviet propaganda. Well,
3: were- and there you go. And and therein lies the difference. But you just don't see those kind of movies. And, you know, even the... Um, I, I apologize, but the, the ship, I can't remember the name of the ship that was in Jaws where everyone fell off and then the shark came and ate them. <laughs> the have they boat? ever made a movie about that? The, yes, have they ever made a movie about that?
0: The whole movie, no, they haven't. Uh, Quint told his story in the in the lounge of that boat that night and everyone sang mm-hmm. the old songs. And all, but no, there's
2: never been a whole movie about the Indianapolis.
3: See, See and that would be of, interesting. Yeah,
2: there, There's a lot of really... Uh, uh, you know, good stories to be told, and the idea that we get, we, the idea that we would go back over and over again to certain chapters of history, just kind of feels like a, a waste of resources and a waste of audience attention. But uh,
3: I would
1: have so again, to
2: agree. free advice, Hollywood.
3: I would have to agree, but again, we are we are the generation who believes that we invented everything. <laughs> so you know, what we are not are millennials, and I suspect we probably don't have a lot of millennial listeners. But we're going to talk about them coming up next, and the things that they have already missed in their lifetime. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. We'll be right back.
2: Hi. I'm Mike Wallace, with a sensational
1: shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden
2: Fluffo, the first all-new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow, and what a pie it makes. Richer looking, better tasting. More appetizing. Get richer looking, better
1: tasting, more appetizing results in everything you bake or fry. Get golden fluffles.
3: Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White along with my co-host Jim Garrity. And we uh, came across something that we felt was really worth sharing with you guys. Um, USA Today came up with a list of things that millennials take for granted because they have always had them in their life. Now, we as the you know, non-millennial generation will say, <laughs> did not have this problem. But when you start looking at what they have had at their convenience since the time they were born, it does, one, make you feel old, and secondarily, you forget how many advancements we've actually had as it involves sports over the last 10 to 20 years. And the first one is instant highlights. Mm-hmm. And while there would be people that would argue that highlights have ruined the games, <laughs> others who you know, have benefited from a bad call being turned over, this is one that you know, we kind of enjoy. And in addition to that, one of the things that Twitter and the NFL are currently fighting about is whether or not people should be allowed to share gifts mm-hmm. that they've captured from the games. And this is something that is clearly a millennial problem because, you know, our generation, that was not something we ever really thought about.
2: No, I mean, just say like one of the things about being a sports fan is that once you left the home city of your, uh, your, home, your, favorite, your favorite team, in most cases, it was hard to follow the team. You, you would not see it on TV. There would be minimal coverage in uh, your local paper. Sports radio would have zero interest in it. So you have to, you know, like just just scrap up whatever morsels of the two paragraph description of the game, Um, you know, mostly, uh, most notably from. uh, 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 For let's talk about in terms of football, but you know, people said that a good portion of the fueled the rise of USA Today in the 1980s was out of town sports fans who wanted to read the box scores and wanted to get coverage of their favorite team, and they weren't living in the home state of that. Um, I was noticing earlier this year that I, you know, was getting ready for uh, traveling. I was not able to actually watch. Uh, a Jets game um, uh, one on Sunday. And just by being on Twitter, I was getting the highlights of people putting up GIFs and stuff like that. So you can quote-unquote watch a game without watching it just by watching the reactions on Twitter. Um, so you really never are completely out of touch from your favorite team, which is obviously really good. But, man, you want to talk about something that has just, you know, just changed the nature of being a sports fan.
3: Oh, absolutely. There is no more getting home and finding out what the score was after you've taped the game.
2: Yeah, oh my goodness, yeah. You you
3: you would, you would literally have to cut yourself off from the internet, social media, and your phone because I get text updates from the Steelers. I mean, 95% of these on the list have something to do with the internet or have something to do with social media and the idea of sharing instant scores and fantasy scores and being able to converse with both the athletes and other fans because of the internet and social media. But some of the things that are on the list make me giggle, and one of them specifically... Was the yellow line in football?
2: Yeah, like if, if they took it away, we'd be like, wait, where is it? You know, where's the yellow
3: line? Yeah, I need that yellow line. I need to know where it is. And another one that was on there was the lack of the glowing puck. Because if you watch hockey, much like in football, that where they have the glowing um, mm-hmm. yellow line in hockey, they have the glowing puck, so you can keep track of it.
2: Yeah. Um. And you know it was a uh, uh also wasn't it for a while like they tried to have it so you could see it when it was down by the boards close to the side of the, on the side of the of, of the ice that uh, was closest to the cameras mm-hmm. right you, you ordinarily'd be cut off and you just have to wait for the uh puck to come out from there or they 'd have to cut to a different angle but uh, uh this there was that you know i 'm looking through this they talk about uh, the alternate uniforms h d t v good food at stadiums, which is definitely an, a great improvement but um you know what's not on the list, and I feel like is it is completely uh, under, under, un, un, left neglected for no good reason, and is a giant change in the way sports used to be when you and I were much younger, Mickey. And what is that? Free agency. Oh yeah. Meaning that we always had it in some level. There was always off-season trades and things like that. But you know, it, particularly in the world of the NFL, your team's roster is going to change a lot over a two-year or three-year span. It's just the nature. Hatred of the beast, right? I mean, you know, I know that mm-hmm. I know the Jets probably have more churn in their roster as a bad team. <laughs> than what Skillers do as a good team. But, I mean, it, you, it's now long, it's not even the, you know, oh, Joe Montana is a 49er for a lot of years, and then he does two years with the Chiefs or something like that. It's not even like that. It's, it's now not unusual for a really good player to change teams at the peak of their career. Yeah. Um, which you just didn't see in the 80s and early 90s.
3: And that's gut-wrenching. Um, one of the other things that's suggested on here is the idea of having a wild card playoffs, And, I, you know, you think about how much the wild card changes both football and baseball. And how many more teams get to participate because of it. Uh, and how many more fan bases. I mean, obviously there's no mention of the fact um, on the list, which I think they, they were really, they should have put on here, was the fact that we can now watch football five out of seven days a week.
2: It used and to by the be, way, the
3: football after, Saturday and Sundays—that was it.
2: I'm going to chalk this up to um, our previous show de- denouncing Thursday night football
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the hideous uniforms. But there is now talk that the NFL is considering getting rid of Thursday night football. Um, now, here's the thing. It consider, so on a scale of one to ten, Roger Goodell is a negative twelve in your book, right, Mickey? <laughs> At least, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's say he says, "All right, we realize this is an experiment that failed. The players don't like it. The fans don't like it." Too hard to prepare for a game of four days. Too many injuries. Uh, we're getting rid of Thursday night football. How much would that? How much goodwill would that uh, would Goodell get with you for making a move like that?
3: I would like it if it happened. Um, I don't know how much goodwill I'd be willing to give Goodell on anything. He might get a you know, a bump to like negative 11.
0: That means you would punch him less hard if you saw. Him. Right.
3: Exactly. It, it, because to me, as you know, Thursday night football is just one of the many problems that he has right now. I would prefer he say, you know, they did come out and say they weren't going to do the early morning lending games anymore. And I call that a win.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe he is listening to our show and maybe, He's understanding what we've said, you know, time and time again about the delusion of the product and diluting it down to the point where, you know, if you catch it on Thursday night, great. If you don't, that's OK, too, um, because you're going to have, you know, all day Sunday to watch football and all day Saturday to watch football, etc. So I'm kind of hoping that he recognizes that in it as well um, and and again, you know that's not something that's on this particular list either. But we never had football games outside of the U.S. Uh, up until the last, you know, five ten years.
2: Yeah, the other thing is also like the the nationally televised night games were supposed to be really good games, right? Well, yeah, but, that was all the year long doing
3: like a Monday night game was supposed to be. They were usually rivalry games.
2: Yeah. Uh, something really exciting, something really high stakes. Two good teams. Look, sometimes the schedule is going to break a certain way. You end up the Colts at the Jets, and it turns out to be a disaster. But on, th- I understand you know the Thanksgiving games had very good ratings because you know the Cowboys are very good this year. And when the Cowboys played on, I want to say Sunday night, they had really huge ratings. Um, so I think part of it is is you know what if you got two good teams with a good game people will watch. I'm just not sure the league is capable of generating a good Thursday night game matchup, a good su- Sunday night game matchup, and a good Monday night game matchup, um, just accounting for the fact that certain teams that were good from one year are going to turn out to be bad the next year.
3: And you could end up playing the 49ers or the Browns, and it's going to be horrible no matter what. That was why they originally put together the you know, the ability of the flex scheduling.
2: Which was absolutely wise, and I understand that. My understanding is that now... Uh, the Dallas Cowboys will be playing every like a five-game streak of games on national television, mm-hmm. four night games in a row, then the playoffs, which will all be nationally televised, assuming they make the playoffs. At this rate, every Dallas Cowboy game will be televised for entirety of 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That
3: doesn't make me happy.
0: America's team is back!
3: Well, and the other thing is, you know, I, I know this as a Steelers fan and as someone who has worked in television, that... Steelers ratings are as good as most home teams in their own markets. And so I am a big pusher of why don't we have all of the Steelers games on TV as well?
2: <laughs> even teams you hate are uh, more interesting when they're good, so. And I don't know why we have any Browns games on TV. <laughs> really, that that's pointless. Why are they even on radio? <laughs> Anyway, we have one of our most impassioned and hotly debated uh, Trivial Tuesday contests coming up right after this.
1: When that sun breaks out, lift up your hand and shout it's gonna be a great day loves waits for you, that spirit comes shining through, promising you a great day. Mamma mia, that's a spicy
2: meatball. God. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, I think you had one of our best contests, one of our best Trivial Tuesday efforts on, Tuesday, on Twitter. Um, we basically, you, you asked people, what Christmas song, what Christmas carol are you absolutely sick of? <laughs> <laughs> and you want to see it left on the ash heap of history. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, quite a few nominees. But I was struck there are like like three or four, maybe five real leaders in this category. There was not a wide range. I think there is near something approaching near universal consensus that there are four or five Christmas carols out there that just need to die.
3: Yeah, there were some outliers throughout the group. But the the you're absolutely right in that there's a good handful that – clearly people across the country can do without <laughs> and uh, the first one that pops to mind is last christmas by wham
2: oh wait a second because that was one i was actually going to defend that, i'm not saying it's a good song in fact it's a terrible song but it's become so terrifically cheesy you almost kind of like it it kind of grows on you uh-huh. i think uh, in
0: the spirit of christmas we should uh, relieve andrew ridgely of all guilt
3: and just call it the George Michael just song. Just call
0: it the George Michael song.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Andrew.
0: He hasn't made a nickel. He hasn't done anything. Why should he be drawn into this terrible thing that goes all the way back to the eighties? You know
3: that that was a big one. Another one that's kind of poppy that kept popping up on the list was Santa Baby.
2: Yeah. Yeah, particularly the Madonna version. The
3: Madonna yes. version was the one that everyone never needed to hear
2: again. Set it on fire.
3: <laughs> I was rather pleased with our listenership um, and, and our friends and fans on Twitter in that they they managed to use both of the old Beatles songs as songs that we never need to hear again. Uh, one was Happy Christmas War is Over by John Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> and the other is the Paul McCartney debacle of a song
2: war is over x so yeah 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 both no, no, of that, that was one. the
3: john lennon version the, the paul mccartney song oh it's
2: uh, simply having a wonderful christmas time yeah yes. paul McCartney's the, the, most beloved figure.
0: the same old every chorus time you
2: hear that song you want to punch him in the face right <laughs> i mean like that song has amazing powers to make you hate someone who you ordinarily like
3: Uh, uh, Some other ones that made it into the list. Um, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. And that was, you know, that's not even that old. Um, But it's a song I think that, you know, you either like or you hate.
2: Yeah. I I think it started out as a joke song. Mm -hmm. And it just kept staying popular and it kept being played on the radio. So so apparently it's like like the 10th most popular Christmas carol of all time. And it's kind of like, you know... It really isn't meant to be uh, uh, to be you know, like like it's kind of like um, when when MTV was putting together their 100 greatest music videos of all time, they didn't put any weird owls on there. <laughs> Weird <laughs> ones on there. And, and, you know, they said, look, Weird Al Yankovic has been a great performer over the years, but a parody doesn't belong in the same category that's of true. the things it is parodying. It's, it's, it's apples and oranges. There. Any of I our a-
0: uh, erudite fans proposed the Jingle Bell Dogs song? Any of Yes.
3: Them? Yeah, we had the the Jingle Bell Dog song was on there as well. And Jim's right. You know, I put out questions every single Tuesday um, when I remember. And (laughs) I normally do not get the just overwhelming response that I got. But clearly, here we are, you know, three weeks into Christmas music. And people have had it. Mm. Um, One of the songs that popped up was When I remember from singing in elementary school, which was I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. And huh. I, I I, didn't even realize they were still playing that on the air. Um, another suggestion that came up that reminded me of my elementary school days was all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth.
2: Oh, interesting. I think I, I would not have put that one on the, you know, uh, you know this one's got to die. This is this is really awful. Um, you know, do they know it's Christmas? Uh, I think the guilt trip song yes. oh, probably, yeah. you oh, know, yeah, shoot them all. Shoot them me. all now. I think that I mean, one might
3: be the top of the the heap for me right there.
2: And it's, you know, I'm sure these guys had the best of time best of intentions. They want to help, but all it does is like, you know, there are starving people in Africa. And there you are having seconds, you you terrible, you know, greedy, selfish Westerner. Well, um, you keep
3: in mind that the chorus of that is feed the world. Because it was a live aid song.
2: That's right. That's right. Um, we should point out I saw a Gray March-nominated Baby It's Cold Outside. We've already discussed that at great length. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think we've now decided Baby It's Cold Outside is awesome. Uh, oh, we like that song. Fabulous.
0: We're going to
3: close out the show with that song.
0: How did you know what I, your producer was going to do?
3: I
2: saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. I saw that
3: you put that up there, and I feel like that's one we might need to discuss next week because we're coming to the end of our hour. And uh, Jim, you and I disagree about Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. I I personally have an entirely different approach to it. So maybe we'll put that on the docket for next week's schedule. Um, Because once again, we've come to the end of the fastest hour in radio. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. We've got big Dave Perkins behind the board. You've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. You can catch us every single week on SoundCloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash... Jim and Mickey show, and of course, find us on Twitter and follow us there at Jim and Mickey. And uh, I'm Mickey White, he's Jim Garrity. We'll be back next week. Last